RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 3, Episode 20. Letter from D.C. Fontana to Gene Roddenberry. One of our planets is missing. September 24th, 1973. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Welcome back to the Trek Files, everybody, all you Star Trek fans, background fans, you canonistas. I say that lovingly now. And of course, you Trekophiles with an F. We've got another wonderful show here diving into the animated series. Pretty soon we're going to have to start saying the animated series era of the 70s since we have two animated series coming down the pike. We mean the animated series debuting in 1973, which was nominally headed by our guest this week, which gives you a clue. So I'll be right back with her and our document for the week, which, of course, you can find at our site on Facebook, The Trek Files. So take a listen to this sample, and we'll be right back. Since I have spent the last six months writing, rewriting, and beating my brains out on the scripts, I hate to see this time negated by glaring errors that could be caught before the film goes to negative cutting. Star Trek is not an ordinary show. I was not hired to be ignored. If I am to be of any value to the final product of this show, someone is going to have to convince the filmation people that I should see this film before it is final. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're here in the animated series era. And (laughs) did you take a look at our document this week? You should. It's a, a typical memo written by our guest this week, but then the end... It ends up in a most atypical way, as you just heard. That's what I want to talk about, all things animated series this week, with our special guest returning once again. Thank you for being back with us, Dorothy Fontana. Thank you for having me. Yes, or DC for you purists out there. Dorothy, of course, was ran the gamut from a young writer uh, selling scripts, being Gene Roddenberry's assistant on the original series, through the, from the pilots, through the original series, then was story editor, and then fulfilled that role, story editor and associate producer on the animated series, trusted to helm that by Gene, and then helped get the next generation kicked off in the same way. But we're talking animated series. We've got a treasure trove of these memos, Dorothy, and this one caught our eye chiefly because of the situation going on here at the end. So just to set the stage, this memo is September 24th, 1973. We're actually about three or four weeks into airing the animated series. And you've had a process since March, April that year, getting writers, getting scripts, working with Gene. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I even want to talk about that. Gene's title officially for the show is consultant, which many people think he was – he got the show sold and then he was off doing his other projects. But let's just start there. How involved was Gene with the animated series? He was not as involved as he certainly was on the live-action series. Uh, he had an office at Filmation, and he would come in once in a while, but he was busy with other projects. Uh, so I communicated mostly with memos or phone calls, and he would call me back. Occasionally he would come into the office and mm-hmm. we would sit down and talk. But he was more absent than there. He did read everything. He did comment on everything. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't there to oversee the production in any way, shape, or form. Right. 
Well, it was animation. It wasn't like coming in and making sure a prop or a visual effect or a costume looked a certain way or a set. Uh, but we've got a paper trail, as you said. You wanted the paper trail, and it's certainly there. He's certainly commenting on pitches and, and rewrites and development. Um, but here you are. You're nominally there. I guess I'm, were you at the filmation office every day? I was there of? every day, right. five days a week. Yeah, which is why the tone of your letter here, this memo. And again, this is a typical memo. You wrote memos to the writers. And then as it actually went into production, animation's a different critter than live action, obviously. Uh, how much was that filmation? And, and by the tone of this, were you really shut out of the process? The process of actually turning a script into animation, mm-hmm. yes. Um, I occasionally would go into the artist's room and have a little look at the sketch or two, but uh, mostly I was not invited to the editing room. I was not invited to cuts. Um, I didn't even see the final uh, print before it went on air um, and uh, that felt very bad to me um, I realized that I was not a, a you know well-known animation writer or well-known animation person but I did know the basic process and I do know a finished film when I see it <laughs> uh, and what I was seeing on television because I was watching at home when they were aired was uh, errors that uh, kept popping up that uh, shouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. Someone should have been paying attention, and if if it couldn't be me, it should have been somebody. Right. Well, you say watching at home because you didn't have access or weren't being invited or told right. or got the memo, literally, to go watch a screening at the at the lot, at the filmation lot, which is what, in, in uh, North Valley somewhere? I mean, in the valley somewhere. Yes, it's in the valley, and uh, it uh, was about a half-hour drive from my home, because I lived in the valley, too. Right. Yeah, on Sherman Way, according yes. to the... Yeah. Yes, Okay, yes. in the middle. In Reseda. Uh, in Reseda. Um, that's just amazing, though. We think about, you know, the time... Like you say, you're beating your brains out in that key paragraph at the end. Now, again, this was written in September. It had debuted kind of famously, I think, on the same premiere date that the original series had, so yes. September 8th. We had one, two, three. Your classic episode, Yesteryear, has aired, and... Are you saying you didn't even get to watch your own episode being? No, I did not. That's just amazing. Much less the fact that you're running the show and you should have. What Was that just a – you said you weren't an animation person from the industry. Was that just uh, Was that just beyond their, their radar scope? It's possible. The people who were at Filmation who were doing the job uh, – you know, they they were right on it. They had done many cartoons, and and we're still doing cartoons as well as Star Trek, which was not a cartoon. <laughs> uh, but uh, there were tech things like the projection screens on on computers and backgrounds would change from scene, you know, from one angle to another angle to another angle. And it's like, oh come on, guys, it, it, it should be the same thing, yeah, <laughs> at least yeah. for, for a few frames. Um, there, there are other tech uh, things, uh, shots of other ships uh, or planets or uh, things like this I point out in this memo. Right, right. Yeah, you that, go through uh, a lot of, from that. This memo is ostensibly about one of our planets is missing. Yes. Which was the third show aired, um, the third episode aired. And you go through. But, you know, as we said, how many minutes of actual screen time? It was about 21 or 22 minutes at the time. So here you are with uh, 13 items <laughs> and representative items. 
from a 20, you know, 13 items in 21 minutes, that's what's your point, right? Yeah. Hey, guys, we yeah. can some of this we can eliminate. Well, some things were obvious. I make one point about uh, Spock delivering some key lines to Kirk, and instead of being full face into the camera as he should have been, because he's or or at least in the, it's the same shot with Kirk, he's bending over his uh, his his uh, station and you know talking into that scope that he used to look at all the time uh, while he's making an important story point. That, to me, is not good. Right. That's, that's, that's poor visualization of a strong scene or what should be a strong it's scene. diluting the power of the delivery. Right. right. Well, do you... We talk all the time. We've had Fred Bronson on to talk about how he treated the animated Star Trek series as a primetime show because yes. of the importance. And yet, between that as everyone dealing with Star Trek... And coming from that angle, knew this. But do you think people at Filmation, people in the animated world, the Saturday morning animation world, just didn't get it? I mean, I think maybe corporate people at Filmation, it's a small company. Yes. Maybe some of them were impressed to have this property, but still at the same time, Star Trek was that failed three-year primetime show. I mean, what what could you tell as you as you got into the process because what gene hired you to do this yes of course okay so you were they didn't hire you i mean did you have any perception that or even as a woman in animation at the time uh the way you were being treated as either someone from live tv who was an anime or a woman or any of those factors maybe coloring the way that you were being treated Possibly because I was someone who was used to doing live tv not animation although I had written a couple of animated shows um it uh, it was their show. They did all this on their shows, their on their way, their, right, their right. way, and so this is how they treated me. But I thought, really, since I'm the expert on Star Trek here, I should have been at least invited in to to see a cut of the film, and, <laughs> and, and, at least. Um, but I was excluded from that post production. Uh, as I said, every once in a while I could go into the animated, uh, the artist area and look at what they were doing, which was nice. That was pleasant. But uh, it was uh, being cut out of the post-production in particular. Right. Well, your title technically was associate producer and story editor, and the director was... Hal Sutherland. Hal Sutherland, right. Do you think just in terms of billing you know, and title that there was a perception that that's not something that an associate producer did, and they couldn't get beyond the fact that you were the Star Trek of the show, the meat of the show, and this was not just another Brady Kids or Lassie or, you know, Filmation event. (laughs) That's probably what they were thinking is, we're in charge, we do the animation, we know how to do this, you don't. Right. But I could pick up errors so easily when I looked at the finished product and saying that could have been fixed so so easily, so quickly, without a lot of extra money or, or, or even time involved. Right. In 40 years of fandom, we've had articles and essays and books now. Uh, everyone can sit down, just, you know, to be fair, just as we can with any iteration of Star Trek, original series onward, and find the glitches, you know, find the little bloopers or whatever, un- unintentional or, or, or whatever. But it's not as bad as leaving a Starbucks cup on the table in the Game of Thrones. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, that yes. That startled me. Crossing streams. Yeah, that'll go in the digital digital edits. Yeah, it was good for a laugh for a week or two yeah. here. But, no, I mean, and again, your memo's pointing these out. You're saying, like, geez, guys, I, I, I could solve this. So my question is... You're writing your you. This is probably the second or third one you started writing is after the first airing, and I'm guessing, and they got to a crescendo. 
Did anything change? Not much. Not much. Did Gene step in? Did anybody put their foot down? Did they put their foot down and were ignored, or did nothing happen? Or not much, nothing happened really. I don't know if he ever spoke to the heads of filmation, uh, Norm Prescott and mm-hmm. uh, oh, blanking Scheimer, Lou Scheimer. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he never spoke to Hal Sutherland, who was the director. And as I said uh, earlier, um, he was colorblind. So when you're doing a colored animated show, <laughs> Hal Sutherland, kind of we're talking. To, have to, yeah, have yeah. to know uh, that uh, starships don't turn up pink. Because, well, for Hal, it was gray. He didn't know. Uh, and I had to apologize to Larry Niven on his show because the starship was pink. But they got the Kazinti right, so that was okay. <laughs> the orange. Because I described them specifically. So really nothing? You never got any, you never got any better access to the final final cuts of the shows and try, try to remedy this. Not really. And that, of course, was, aside from other opportunities, that was one of the reasons why I left at the end of the 16 episodes. I'm done. I'm out of here. Um, because I wasn't being given uh, at least the attention I needed to have to say, that's wrong. You can fix this. Do that. Do this. Uh, which I thought I had the right to do as the associate producer and story editor on the show. And right. the start, the local Star Trek expert on scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was what you were there for. It's, it almost sounds like there wasn't a lot of... In, in the process, in the factory at Filmation, and probably a lot of the other animation houses then, the script was only given so much respect, and it was the art, maybe, because you were all about the script, and, I, I, right. and I'm sure that the work you were putting in was not the typical work that a Filmation <laughs> half-hour animated script went through. No, no. Yeah, and the, and the degree of writer. I mean, you had incredible writers. Yes, we did. Something I didn't realize you just mentioned uh, before we went on about why you got so many. It wasn't all the old Star Trek writers doing it out of love so much, to a degree, but what was going on? There was a writer strike on which went, uh, I believe, that year from January or maybe March uh, through to June. And uh, Writers Guild members could not write for anything live, but you could write for animation, which was not covered by the Writers Guild at that time. Um, You could write one animated script without having to become a member of their union. If you did The animation writers. Animation writers. Uh Uh-huh. Margaret Armand did two, I think, and David Gerald did at least two, and they became members of that union for a while and then dropped out. Uh, Gene Kuhn opted not to do a script for us because he said he didn't feel like spending time writing a half-hour script for $1,300. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, sadly... He's the only only one who who, uh, didn't accept our offer to come on down and tell us a story. And the one thing about animation, you could do almost anything... Uh, you know, we could have all sorts of wonderful ships. We could have all kinds of interesting aliens, uh, alien planets, uh, yeah. you know, all kinds of stuff that would have cost us quite a lot of money to do live. Yeah. Uh, just pink, draw it. No pink problem. and otherwise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we should point out, too, just in timing, um, 1973 is the year very suddenly, may have been coming on for a while, but very suddenly Gene... Gene Kuhn yes. passed away yes. from his uh, advanced cancer. It was after the show started. Yes. Right, right. But um, writers, writer strikes pop up at the weirdest times. Yes. <laughs> and, and things happen, it seems like, all through Star Trek. Well, we're looking at a funny one now. We can't work with our agents because of the uh, Writers Guild agency contract not being finalized. Right. And 
we had to terminate our agents. Which is another another, and who knows what the ripples will be out of that? Uh, yes, we've certainly seen them, and it's odd how they they seem to have affected Star Trek over the years. Well, um, it's really sad. I mean, I hope with you putting your foot down in this memo and and getting very strong, you know. Very strong about your position there that something would change, but it's really sad to think it never did really. It didn't change much, no. Uh, every once in a while I've been invited to a final cut, but um, it wasn't often. Well, even that, would that have been too late to have made changes? Almost, you, yes, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So nothing, all your memos, did you keep writing memos? As each I other? tried. I, I thought I had to let Roddenberry know what was going on because he wasn't in as often as he might be. Right. And he wasn't there all the time, obviously. Uh, and he did come in once in a while and talk to Norm and, and to Lou, but um, not much changed. Got lost in the shuffle, no. fell through the cracks. And well, we had good scripts. Oh, the, yes. No one doubts that. We've just had also 40 years of people visually <laughs> finding the oddball things and chalking it up to the rush of animation and all that. But second season was just six episodes and um, yes. not did not include you. No. I, I left after the first 16 were done, or the first season, and uh, I stayed out of it after that. Yeah, yeah. And on to other projects. Yes. Well, Dorothy, that was... Uh, you know, the the animated series have not always had their due. Our our friend Aaron Harvey's new book is, is, is coming soon and will shed more light. People have been writing about the animated series for years. It's yes. been in and out of the spotlight and in and out of favor. But there's, you know, even as short a series as it was, and just animation, yes. I said with air quotes, as we approach the coming of new animated series and, and much longer in duration, um, it's interesting to look back at this time and realize there's all kinds of wrinkles and texture going on. And um, and sadly, you not allowed to do your job all the yeah. way. Was well, one of what, them. Was, what was interesting is that uh, to do a live show, if you had to, you could get it on the air in about four or five weeks. If you pushed on every you know, department, you could get a live show on the air in about four weeks if you had to. Animation took three months to do. And everything was done by hand, except for the minor part of uh, being able to Xerox standing set outline drawings, mm-hmm. uh, Xerox them, and a black and white, and they came out on, on, on film, of course, and then the animators went to work and did the coloring right. and all of that stuff that had to go in. Uh, that was the one big surge ahead <laughs> was the, being able to Xerox black and white still sets. Um, but... Uh, it took so long to do an animated episode. And, of course, we're talking pre-digital. We're talking yes, about Xerox. Absolutely. But even now in the digital age, there's a long lead time yeah. to uh, yeah. for animated series, as we're seeing now with the two current, with Lower Decks and the, what I call, a hashtag uh, uh, Nick Trek series coming <laughs> down the line. Well, anyway, Dorothy, thank you for shedding light on what was a, a, a memo that in the middle of all your memos really stuck out there with uh, – D.C. Fontana gets militant here, <laughs> and things don't always work out the way we, we want them to. No. Yeah. I did work with some great writers, and that was a nice experience. I thought we did some good stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody, I mean, yes. And you know what? Yesteryear, your story has been around as unofficial and now official canon for as, as it's been canonized on live action plenty of times. Oh, really? <laughs> and uh, including Discovery now. So um, there was one hitch in that. Uh, because it, I have at the end uh, Spock's pet, his sailor, is dying, and there's a choice that he has to make uh, let him be in pain and live, or let him go peacefully. 
and my choice was Spock. Young Spock allows him to go peacefully, and the uh, NBC departments, uh, you know, with censorship and all that, were absolutely crazy with worry that I was going to offend so many people. And Roddenberry said, "Let Dorothy handle it. It's okay." And we did not get one complaint about the death of the Salot. Not one. You did not traumatize the entire American youth audience. Nope. <laughs> That's good to know. There's one satisfaction. There's one satisfaction. Dorothy, again, it's been lovely to have you back. Thanks for sharing time with us. Thank you. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All our documents are available right there on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at LarryNimichek.com. Trek well, everybody. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.